doing a series on the book of Revelation. Took a side journey last week and just talked about some preparation, th things we need to think about uh, in terms of preparation because the world as we know it is changing. And you know, um, I mentioned this before, but don't want to get too far into this. But you know, when, when Jesus came the first time as a baby in a manger um, uh, and, and then, you know, lived his 33 and a half years, died, uh, was, was raised from the dead and then ascended to heaven, the church age began. Uh, you know, it was a really interesting time. Times of change are challenging and difficult. And even, even when Jesus came the first time, the change from Old Testament thinking, the law, uh, to the grace of God and salvation by faith through grace and not salvation by adherence to outward law, that was a, that was a hard thing for people to understand and grasp for a, a number of years, even after Jesus died, because, you know, patterns were set in and habits were formed mental habits, religious habits, and it's the same way now. Here we are at the very end of the church age, and, uh, you know, we've been accustomed to uh, things going a certain way and thinking a certain way, and now here we are in another, another huge change um, uh, in the kingdom of God worldwide, in our world as we know it spiritually and naturally, there are, we're undergoing huge changes. And, you know, change times aren't necessarily fun times. If you're like me, you like things to just keep going on because you've learned your patterns. Is that true? And all of us have been challenged with this uh, last four months and all of the changes that we've seen. But the changes are not over. More changes are, are yet to come. Um, um, I'm not sure how much we're going to like most of them, but they're coming. And I'm not sure that there's a lot that we're going to do a, about that except make sure that we're ready. How many hear me? So we're going again from the age of grace. And, and, and we're going into a time that most Western believers know very little about. And that is a time of judgment. And uh, Jesus came, first of all, to bring salvation. When Jesus comes back the second time, it's a totally different tune. And he's coming to cleanse the earth of all of the rebelliousness of the ages and to right every wrong and to, and to make just every injustice and to be fair and equitable to every living thing, including Satan himself. And it's, a, it's not a tidy time. So we're right on the outer fringes of of the, of the age of judgment. Now, that's weird to say, isn't it? You know, that most of the time when you're teaching and preaching, people, you know, they say, well, you need to encourage people. Well, this here is encouraging. How many are excited that Jesus is coming back? But we need to get ready for it. And my concern is that for a large portion of the body of Christ, we're not prepared for what's coming. We're not, we're not suffering the... Uh, the challenges that believers are facing in many parts of the world with serious persecution, serious persecution. And you can read about it all over the place. And, uh, and, and, and martyrdom. And, uh, did you know, and somebody mentioned before service, you know, the, uh, I think it was uh, Sean, that the, uh, the um, Greek word for um, witness is the exact same Greek word for martyr. Isn't that interesting? And uh, we don't like to think about that in the Western world because we've enjoyed our freedoms, particularly here in America, for so long. And we perhaps are the last bastion of freedom worldwide. But, but the world is beginning to take a turn and a twist. Things are beginning to change. And I've said this many times. The spirit of Antichrist is loose worldwide. And there is an, um, uh, uh, an ideology to amalgamate the whole world together, to drop 
the borders of nations and to, and to adopt international law, international currency. And, this, this, and that's the attitude and spirit of Antichrist. And it's in direct opposition to the things of God. It's in direct opposition to Christianity and the belief systems that we hold dear and the values that we hold as believers. How many hear what I just said? It's really interesting time. So we just need to be aware that, you know, the world as we know it is uh, beginning to change. And frankly, it's changing much more rapidly than I thought it was going to. And, and it's taking kind of all of us sort of by surprise. So just understand that what we're going, some of the things we're going through now are a dry run of things to come. You've perhaps heard that from others. I've said it a number of times. But one thing I think that's really cool is the fact that God has, uh, God has let us know what's going to be happening so it doesn't take us by surprise. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. Is that not true? So, you know, before you, as your children age, the various stages and levels of aging, you know, if you're a good parent, Susan and I parented four children. They're all grown and married and are, uh, have six grandchildren now. And uh, anyway, we always had age-appropriate conversations. Now, here's what you can expect, you know, when you, when you go to kindergarten, when you go to school. Here's what you can expect. Now, I've got, I've got this expectation of you. I've done this for you. Now, I want you to do this by yourself. Parents do those kinds of things, and we understand that. Well, God is that way with us as well, and, and we're in a preparation time for some fairly serious times that are coming upon the world scene, and he doesn't want us to be caught off guard. So it is a time to be prayerful. It's a time to live, to live in the light of eternity. Think about every day. Would I want to do what I'm doing right now if it was my last day on earth? That's the kind of thinking we need to do, and sadly, Western culture is... I want to do what I want to do. I want to be comfortable. And they don't think about, they don't think about the future a whole lot. Ephesians 1, chapter nine, uh, verses 9 and 10, Philip's translation, sums up the book of Revelation. Uh, to me, even though it's the book of Ephesians. And I just love this verse. And J.B. Phillips' uh, translation is so good. For God has allowed us to know the secret of his plan. And it is this. He purposed in his sovereign will that all human history should be consummated in Christ, that everything that exists in heaven or earth shall find its perfection and fulfillment in him. Jesus is the sum total of everything every human needs. He is the sum total of history. In fact, uh, history is his story, somebody said. So again, we're going through the book of Revelation verse by verse, and we're all the way up tonight to Revelation chapter 8. So uh, this is actually lesson 18, so there's a lot of information. The notes are online, the uh, MP3s, the audio, the MP4s, the video are online as well. If you haven't heard uh, what go, has gone before, I encourage you to uh, go back and, uh, and, and listen to some of that. And uh, the book of Revelation is all about God coming back to repossess the earth that he owns. And to again right every wrong and to uh, judge the nations, the men and demonic hosts of hell that work with Satan in himself and hold the earth in bondage and, and uh, send them off to their reward and then bring freedom back to this wonderful planet that he created us to inhabit. So we started and I want to uh, summarize really quickly. We looked at Revelation chapter 4, one lesson a number of uh, a while back, weeks and weeks ago. And it shows you, Revelation 4 shows God as the owner, 
the creator and sustainer of everything. He is the sovereign one. He is the almighty. And, he's, and, and uh, John on the Isle of Patmos was shown a vision of the future just before Jesus comes back. And he saw into heaven and saw the throne of God and, and saw the angelic beings and other people called elders that were around the throne of God. It was a fantastic scene. But Revelation 4 again shows that God owns all. Revelation chapter 5 goes a step further. John looked back up in heaven and saw a scroll in God's right hand. And, uh, and, uh, and, and nobody could open the scroll. He was warning somebody. He wanted to find someone that could open the scroll. The scroll had on it seven seals. And in first century, that was a common practice to have one or two at most, maybe three, very very rarely four or five. But to have a scroll with seven seals, the seals show the significance and importance of the scroll. And uh, usually there was either wax or common clay that was dried, hardened, and placed on the outside of a scroll. And uh, they sealed it so nobody could read the contents except for the person that was to open it. And the only person that can open a sealed scroll was the one who had the authority to open it and to bring to pass what was written inside the scroll. So, you know, military documents, documents of land ownership, and all kinds of things had, uh, had seals on them in first century. Here's God on his throne. He's got a seven-sealed scroll in his hand. And people were crying. Nobody was found worthy, Revelation 5. And then Jesus standing as the lamb, the sacrificed lamb who is standing. He is found worthy to open the scroll. And so Jesus in Revelation chapter 6 Jesus, one at a time, begins to take that pieces of clay on the outside of the scroll in God's right hand that he's grabbed. And one at a time, he flicks off that clay. He flicks off that wax. And every time a seal is broken, something happens on earth. And so we've gone through the book of Revelation chapter 6. And we've looked at six of those seven seals that are on the scroll in God's right hand. That first, uh, that first seal, a white horse appeared once that seal was broken and the Antichrist appeared on the earth. And then another seal was broken and a red horse appeared on earth. There was war. Another seal, the third seal was broken and a black horse appeared. And there was famine and there were earthquakes and terrible things. The uh, fourth seal was, uh, was, uh, was broken and a pale horse appeared. And then the fifth, and then war and, uh, and challenge occurred. Then the fifth seal was broken and people get, begin to be martyred for their witness for Jesus. And it was just a, a challenging thing to read through that. And then the sixth seal at the very end of Revelation chapter 6 was broken. And then cosmic disturbances, something happened in the atmosphere of the earth. We've talked about this in the past. I'm trying to summarize quickly. The sun, moon, and stars all begin to, to shade down and begin to uh, darken. The sun lost its luster. The moon lost its luster. The stars failed to appear in the night. There was a terrible earthquake and people began to... The rich and poor together were affected and they begin to hide uh, from, from, it says, the wrath of the Lamb. And, and then we looked at Revelation chapter 7. Re- Revelation chapter 7 is a parenthesis right after that sixth seal. 
uh, on the scroll and God's right hand is open. It just lets us know uh, what's going on just before that last seal on the scroll is broken. And uh, in Revelation chapter 7, the last time we spoke on this subject, we, we looked at uh, 144,000 Jews who were sealed or protected by God because they're going to go through some very difficult times when that last seventh seal is broken and God seals them so they won't experience death. They'll actually be able to go through a very uh, terrible, terrible time that will happen when that last seal is broken. And then the latter part of Revelation 7, beginning with verse 9, there was a, a multitude in heaven. And you got to understand, we think of all the people that are on earth right now, you know, 7.7 7 billion, I think, is what they're saying right now. That's a lot of people. But in John's day, there weren't that many people on earth. And to see a, a, a multitude that no one can number in heaven from every, every race of people on earth, every ethnic persuasion is there. And they're dressed in white robes. We went into fair detail talking about that the last time. The rapture of the church comes. Right before that last seal is broken, God whisked the church away. The first part of this terrible period of time that is spoken of here in Revelation chapter 6. And we've mentioned in times past that Matthew 24 is a parallel or sister chapter uh, to Revelation chapter 6. Jesus' disciples came to him and said, what is the world going to be like when you come back the second time, you keep saying you're going to leave us. So what's it going to be like when you come back? And, and Jesus began to explain uh, in the whole of Matthew chapter 24 what the world would be like. And as he did, in an uncanny way, it parallels the opening of those seals. Seal 1, seal 2, seal 3, seal 4, seal 5. And Matthew 24 gives even some more understanding. And we've talked about those things in the past. And then uh, there's a time of very, very serious persecution of believers and Jews on earth once the Antichrist manifests himself. And, uh, and he begins to, I mean, he really begins to persecute Jews, Christians, kill them, uh, uh, imprison them, make life quite miserable for them. And Jesus called that the Great Tribulation. This is a period of uh, this, this seven-year period from the time that first seal is broken. It's a time that God begins to deal with the Jewish race again. And it's a time that precedes Jesus' second coming. And, and uh, we call it often Daniel's 70th week. A lot of people call it the tribulation time. Most people in America have heard about the tribulation. And then you've heard about the great tribulation. Three and a half years into that time period. I'm summarizing things we've shared uh, the Antichrist just turns us back on Israel. He desecrates a rebuilt, simplified, perhaps Jewish temple. And that's when serious, serious persecution of Christians and Jews begins to occur. And that's talked about uh, in Revelation 6 as well as Matthew 24. The very end of that, and that time period shortened. And then the sixth seal is broken and, and uh, the sun, moon, and stars uh, begin to dim. And that is a sign. People say, well, how do you know when the rapture is going to occur? When the sun looks weird. When the moon doesn't have its shine, its glow, its that beautiful, bright silver shine. You know something's going on when the stars don't appear as they usually did. Jesus said when that happens, he's coming back. And it's a sign for us. 
So uh, a lot of people that are listening to me, you've heard these things. And uh, you've also heard that, that, that we're probably going to be whisked away before the revelation of this person called Antichrist. Some of these things I have to repeat over and over again. So if you've been here every lesson, I have to say them over and over again because we have new people listening each time. And then, and then just because you heard it once, it just didn't register. So I have to say it over and over again. For most of my life, I have believed that. You know, the rapture of the church is going to happen at any moment. We're going to be whisked out of here before difficult times come. And let me say that what I've been noticing here in the past months is that a lot of the body of Christ in America have that belief system that the rapture of the church is going to whisk us away before the revelation of this person called Antichrist and all these things that were talked about in Revelation 6 and Matthew 24. uh, Before they happen, we're going to be out of here. And and y'all, I don't see it that way for 10 years now. God uh, woke me up about 10 years ago, and, and I, saw, I saw that we're going to be here. It, it, it broke my heart, and I said, wow, that's a challenge, Lord. I've never thought that I was going to be here during that time. Y'all, we're in the season just prior to all this happening. And I say these each time, I really hope I'm wrong, and that the people who disagree with me are right, and that we are whisked away, but I don't think it's going to be that way. I think we're going to we're going to see uh, the Antichrist in the Middle East rise up in his, uh, and do, begin to do what he does. And there are hints of, uh, of the spirit of Antichrist worldwide and even in America today and the challenges that we're facing in our cities and we're facing in all kinds of ways. Uh, uh, give, uh, you know, just give a peek into the fact that that attitude of Antichrist is alive and well on this planet. And he could reveal himself with that agreement with Israel. There's some kind of a covenant uh, peace agreement, some kind of an agreement that, uh, that he, uh, he causes the Palestinians, the Arabic nations, and Israel to begin to agree. So let's work together and, you know, let's have some, let's have some kind of a peace, but it's a pseudo peace. So we're right on the edge of that, and it feels that way. And, uh, and so once all these things that I've just mentioned begin to occur, it's, it's going to be pretty difficult. But the good news is we have the grace of God upon us. And during this time, the greatest revival known to man will be happening during this time. How many hear what I just said? And let me just tell you where we've been in America. We're so, we're so tied to our lifestyle. We're so tied to having things a certain way, being, being accommodated in every way. And during this period of time, we won't be accommodated, not very well. And life will become quite challenging for people who adhere to the belief systems that we have as believers. And so uh, God wants us to prepare for the time that is to come. You don't have to be afraid of it because when the heat turns up, the power of God comes on. When persecution comes, I mean the power of God comes right along with it. So that brings us to Revelation chapter 8. So here we are. Again, God has a scroll in his hand. That scroll is God's title deed to planet earth. When that scroll is open, once the seals are broken and the scroll is open, then God actually comes and begins the process of reclaiming this planet. Now, as we've read, that hasn't happened yet in our reading in Matthew, uh, in Revelation chapter 6. It hasn't happened. Six seals have been broken. There's one more seal. That means that scroll can't be opened and its contents uh, brought to pass until that last seal is broken. So here we are. 
And tonight it talks about the breaking of the seventh seal on that scroll. Everybody with me? I'm trying to slow down so you get it. So look at Revelation chapter 8, verse 1. When he opened, that's Jesus, the Lamb. When he opened the seventh seal, watch this. There was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God. And to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne of God. I want to stop right there a minute and just make a comment that spiritual things rule natural things. How many heard what I just said? You know, the Apostle Paul said we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but against demonic forces that are seeking to hinder the purposes of God. And you can read about that again in Ephesians chapter 6. But, you know, if that's true, then the angels of God, there's much angelic activity worldwide all the time. And we never see it. Uh, We're mostly blind to it. We can't feel it because we're natural people in physical bodies. And we can't see into the spiritual world unless God gives us the gift of the Spirit spoken of in 1 Corinthians 12 called... uh, called discerning of spirits. Well, John had discerning of spirits, saw into the spirit realm, and here the angels before the throne of God, the first thing that happens, when Jesus takes that scroll and opens that seventh seal, everybody gets quiet. Stone silence. Much like when a dignitary would come into a room crowded with people and all of them stand at attention and nobody says anything. Because it, it's not time to talk. When Jesus pressed that seven seal and broke it, everybody knew that scroll was going to be opened. And the contents of that scroll would be brought to pass by Jesus himself. So the first thing that happens is there is silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And it reminds us of Zephaniah chapter 1. Listen to this. Verse 7, New Living Translation. Stand in silence in the presence of the sovereign Lord. For the awesome day of the Lord's judgment is near. The Lord has prepared his people for a great slaughter and has chosen their executioners. And that's a pretty strange verse. And what this verse is revealing is that, is that when the judgments begin... It starts with silence because everybody knows once this starts, it's not going to stop until the earth is freed from demonic control. And it's going to cost a lot for this to happen. God has delayed this judgment over and over and over and over because he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So you wonder why Jesus delays his coming. He delays his coming for your friends that don't know the Lord. For your family members that don't know Jesus. For your spouse that's not walking with God right now. For your children who are lackadaisical about the things of God. Give us time to pray for them. And then give them time to make a choice of their own free will. I need to walk with God. I need to follow God. How many hear me? So there's silence in heaven. And uh, it's, a, it's a reverent thing. And then it says, uh, another angel, verse 3, had a golden censer. It's kind of strange language for us. Earthlings came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense. Now, the incense is interesting. 
that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne of God, and the smoke of the incense, with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hands. Angel's hand. Uh, Revelation chapter 5, verse 8. Now, when he had taken the scroll, we looked at this when we were reading chapter 5. The four living creatures, the 24 elders, fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So here's one thing I want you to get. Every time you pray, God keeps a record of your praying. Isn't that awesome? In fact, Saul, there's a couple of verses in the Bible say, God, even, even when you weep, when you pray, God catches your tears, and he has them in a bottle. So God's aware of the prayers of the church. You know, uh, one thing that Jesus prayed when the disciples asked him, Lord, teach us to pray, the first thing he said, he said, pray this way. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He worshiped first. But the first thing he prayed was, may, thy, let, may, may your kingdom come. And then may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In my per- I've been doing this for a long time. I don't even remember when I started. But in the morning when I get up and, and I'm reading and reading my Bible. And then when I go to pray, uh, one of the fir- after I worship a while, the first thing out of my mouth every day, Lord, let your kingdom come. You know what you're praying when you pray, Lord, let your kingdom come? You're saying, Lord, everything necessary... For sin to be exposed. Everything necessary for injustices to be justified. Everything necessary for Satan to be unseated from his spiritual throne above above the earth and the heavenlies where he reigns with the principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age and spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. Everything necessary to unseat the wrong rulership on this earth, let it come to pass. That's what you're praying. Let your kingdom come. You're praying, Lord, bring salvation to those who are willing to yield themselves to you. You're praying that when you say, Lord, let your kingdom come. And when I pray that in my own personal life, I often say, Lord, Lord, let the words of the prophets, and some of these words were revealed uh, over 2,500 years ago to, to men of God who wrote the scriptures, the the major prophets, the minor prophets in the Old Testament, and they, they saw things well beyond their years. They, they were talking about things uh, that were happening on the earth when they were alive, and suddenly the Holy Spirit would transport their words to the end of the age, the end of the church age that they didn't know was going to come into existence. And so I pray, Lord, let the words of the prophets come to pass. Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, and Daniel, and Zechariah, Zephaniah, Amos, Joel, all these, Haggai. Let these, let these prophets' words happen. Let the words of John the Baptist that he wrote down for us to see what would happen. Let them happen. Let the words of Paul and Peter, they got revelation of what would happen before Jesus comes back, as his kingdom comes. How many know when you're saying, Lord, let your kingdom come? You're praying, you're praying all that. So here it is in heaven, all of those prayers that have been prayed, perhaps Old Testament saints, New Testament saints, they are remembered by God and they come up before his throne as incense. They are prayers and God remembers every prayer that is prayed. Isn't that awesome to think about? And it's silent while it happens. 
And there's the angels and there's God. That seal has been broken. And then it says, Then the angel took the censer, verse 5, filled it with fire from the altar, threw it to the earth, and there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, an earthquake. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. So when that scroll in God's right hand is open, the last seal is broken, it's open. In that scroll, there are seven trumpets that sound. We're going to see later on, there are also seven lavers or or very shallow bowls that Jews used in first century when they went to wash their hands. They had a cloth, they had a bowl of water, and they'd just scoop. They had a certain way of ceremonially washing their hands. They're cleansing their hands from dirt deposits and debris. They're cleansing their hands. And the labor judgments come after the trumpet judgments. And what are those labor judgments doing? The, the, the last bastions of, of wickedness and wrong are being cleansed from the earth when those judgments, those uh, seven labor judgments uh, are shown. So the scroll in God's right hand shows all of that. And so things begin to happen once that scroll is unrolled. The f- angels, they have, they have trumpets in their hand. This seems so strange to us. The spiritual world is uh, ruled quite differently than the natural world that we live in. And there are things that often we don't understand. John saw them here. Let's continue to read this. I'll come back and make some comments. The first trumpet uh, struck vegetation. Look at this, verse 7. So we just read up to verse 6. And so verse 6 again says, The the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. Verse 7, the first angel sounded. There's his trumpet. He makes a noise. And hail and fire followed, mingled with blood. And they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the trees were burned up. And all the green grass was burned up. Now, you know, I read uh, a lot of commentaries and Many men of God in yesteryear made this allegorical and said it wasn't literal. I think this literally will happen. You take the Bible literally everywhere you can. And if it's a picture story, an allegory of some kind, it'll be obvious in the context. It's obvious in the context here. John uh, saw this happen. And it looks like what he saw happen. It looks like, and all the commentaries I read, even my own natural mind says, that sounds like a meteorite hit the earth. And uh, upset the equilibrium of nature. And uh, a third of the trees were burned up. They, they lost their leaves. All the green grass was burned. Something happens to the atmosphere of the earth. Second trumpet. I know it's kind of, a, uh, kind of strange, right? The seas were struck. Verse 8. Then the second angel sounded something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. Sounds, sounds like a meteorite. Hmm. Interesting. A third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. So the seas were struck and uh, challenging times. Third trumpet, the waters were struck. Then the angel, third angel sounded and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood, means bitterness. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many died from the water because it was made bitter. Fourth trumpet, the heavens were struck. Then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck. Now, it already had dimmed. 
When that sixth seal was broken, you'll remember, and the sun, moon, and stars dim. But here it is again. When this fourth angel sounded, a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened. A third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. So think about, think about day and night. Think about the sun. I've told you I love the sun, and I love a bright sun. And uh, it says here it will get no, it, it'll lessen by one-third during this time because of, because of what happened. And then it says, verse 13, lastly, and I looked and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven saying with a loud voice, woe, woe, woe to the ha- inhabitants of the earth because of, because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who were about to sound. Well, let me give you the good news first before we talk about this. The good news is, before all this happens, the rapture of the church looks like it will have occurred. Is that good news? What this is talking about is the wrath of God. And I've, I've taught in past lessons, and you ne- hardly ever hear this preached, but the Bible is full of the idea that the day of the Lord is going to come. The day of the Lord is the time period during that seven years that Daniel saw that we talked about some weeks ago that we call the typically call the tribulation. Part of it's the great tribulation. Then the last part of that is called the day of the Lord. Everybody say the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord is when the wrath of God comes, not the wrath of man. The first part of the seven years we call the tribulation, it's the wrath of man. And it's the Antichrist persecuting the church, persecuting the Jewish race. Nothing in the Bible says that we as believers are immune from persecution. But the Bible does reveal that we're immune from the wrath of God. Because Jesus the Son took God's wrath for you and me. Is that good news? God's not appointed us to wrath, but we should obtain mercy by the Lord Jesus. That whether we wake or sleep, we should live live together with him. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. And then Romans 5, 9 says the same thing. God has not appointed us to wrath. This last part, this day of the Lord, it's when the wrath of God finally falls on the earth. And it's the very last part of this seven-year period that we typically call the tribulation time. There's a chart there on your screen. And so right now we are in the church age. If you look at the bottom left of the screen, we are right now at the church age. That's where we are. And we're just before the Antichrist signs some kind of treaty with Israel on the far left here, the arrow pointing up. We're, we're really close to that. Y'all, it could It could happen at any time. You can never put a time frame on it. I couldn't say in the next week or month or year. I don't know, but it looks really soon. The world scene is ripening for that to occur. And there are a lot of things that tell us that. And then then the first three and a half years of this, Jesus said, this is is the beginning of sorrows. And he said, and he likened it to the birth pangs. My daughter just had, one one of my daughters just had a baby last Saturday. And, uh, you know, she was in the throes of birth pangs, you know, for, for a number of hours. And Jesus said that when the Antichrist makes that covenant, the first three and a half years are likened to a woman. She hasn't had the baby yet. It's not quite time. But boy, I mean, her muscles are constricting. Her womb is preparing to expel a baby. And it just flat hurts. 
And he likens that to this first three and a half years when the Antichrist manifests. Then the midpoint you see on the screen here, the Antichrist has made an agreement with Israel. And he says, I want to be your friend. Let's work together. You know, let's work together with Jerusalem. You know, there, there are a couple of mosques on the Temple Mount. Uh, Israel's uh, already rebuilt a temple there. And the uh, Antichrist turncoats. And, uh, and right midpoint, he commits... What happened in history called the abomination of desolation. And that is where he desecrates the rebuilt Jewish temple. God allows these Jews who don't believe in Jesus. It's kind of hard for us to think this way as believers. But how many know God loves the Jewish race? And he's not through with them. He had to put them, he had to put them to, on a shelf, so to speak, for the most of all of the church age for 2,000 years. Because they didn't believe that Jesus was Messiah. And they were in unbelief. And, and Jews, they are, mess, thank God, they're Messianic Jews. And I know many of them as my friends. Who believe that Jesus is Messiah. And that, his first, that, that, that little baby born in the manger, that was the Son of God. They believe that. But many Jews don't believe that. And uh, they believe that the Messiah is yet to come. So uh, these are the ones that... Um, you know, they want to rebuild the Jewish temple and they want, to, they want to start Jewish sacrifices where they slay animals and offer the animal blood as an atonement for sin. They don't realize that Jesus has come yet. And God loves these Jewish people enough to let them do it again. Isn't that crazy? That's how much God loves them. He's not through with the Jewish race, so he lets them do it. But midway into that, the Antichrist, you know, he reveals his true colors. And instead of being their friend, he becomes an enemy. And he did, he does what was done in his history uh, when in 167 B.C., um, a Greek ruler, Antiochus Epiphanes, he goes into the Jewish temple at the time in 167 B.C. It was December 16th. And he uh, slew a pig. And then he, he set up an idol in the uh, Jewish temple. And then it was called an abomination that made desolate the temple of the Lord. It just pushed out the presence of God completely. And uh, the Bible says that same kind of thing's going to happen again when the Antichrist is in power in the Middle East. It's going to do that again. And that's when the serious, serious persecution comes. Then the, the, uh, after the three and a half years, which is the midpoint, the next three and a half years, the first part of that is the Great Tribulation. And again, I've just mentioned this earlier, but again, Matthew 24 uh, really about um, uh, verses um, 9, 10, 11, right on uh, through, through about verse 28, 20, 28 or so. That's the great tribulation. And, and Jesus says, except those days were so shortened, no believers would be able to survive that time. But for the sake of believers, the elect, God shortens that period of time. And so that's called the great tribulation. And so I just want you to see it on a chart to get in your mind kind of what's going to be happening, it looks like, from Scripture. And then right towards the end of that terrible time when the Antichrist turncoats on Israel and really begins to persecute the church in Israel, then the Great Tribulation. And that's a lot of people died during that time. A lot of martyrs happened during that time. Very end of that time, that time is cut short. The sun, moon, and stars dim. And that's right where you see the red the red um, uh, arrow top and the white arrow coming up from the bottom there. 
right in the middle of the screen. And that's when the rapture of the church happens. The rapture happens just before the wrath of God falls on earth. How many see what I'm talking about? So, so what we're about to talk about won't affect us. The rapture will have whisked us away to heaven. And then the day of the Lord. That, see the last thing there. So you got, you got that seven years broken up to, into three sections. The first one is birth pangs, beginning of sorrows. And that goes up to the midpoint, three and a half years. After the three and a half years, when the, when the uh, Antichrist turned coach, the great tribulation. And you don't know how long that is. That might be, you know, that might be a year. That means three and a half, four and a half years when, uh, from the time the Antichrist reveals himself. It may be, uh, it may be a year and a half. You, I mean, we just can't put a time frame because the Bible doesn't say. But that time is shortened. And then the latter part of that seven years is the day of the Lord. That may last a year, maybe a little bit more. See, that's what we don't, that's what we don't know. It's not going to last a long time because it's so serious and so intense. What I want to etch into you is, as a believer, you won't be here. And that's the message we need to share with people. Judgment's coming. Wrath is coming. And you can be free from that by making Jesus your Savior. If not, you'll have to endure this. How many hear me? So in a nutshell, that's what it, now the Bible talks again about the day of the Lord a lot. Now I'm just going to read these scripture because I need to conclude fairly quickly. But I want to read these. Uh, the Old Testament prophets talked about the day of the Lord. Jesus uh, mentioned the day of the Lord. Paul, the apostle Paul mentions the day of the Lord. Peter mentions the day of the Lord. And then the day of the Lord was revealed to John here on the Isle of Patmos. But I want you to listen. This last part, this last part of the tribulation period is a time we won't be here in this time of intense judgment on earth. How many know that God does judge sin? That doesn't bring much of a response. See, even the sins that we as believers commit, they have been judged by Jesus' sacrifice. There is no sin that you and I commit that is not judged. Our sins were judged on Christ. Is that good news? And because our sins before we were saved and even the sins we commit after we're saved, we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. Is that good news? Those, those, those sins are judged. So God doesn't just forgive sin because he loves us. God forgives sin because someone was judged on our behalf. So that, that part of God's character that is justice, that has to be fair to everything so it can be satisfied. How many understand? So here the wrath of God comes. And the whole reason that this day of the Lord judgment comes, it comes because of injustices. It comes because Satan has usurped rulership of this earth. And it is a very terrible time. So with that in context, just listen as I read from the prophets and what they say about this terrible period at the very end of the seven years we typically call tribulation. Listen to what it's like. Isaiah 2, 12. The Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty for all that is exalted. And they will be humbled for all the cedars of Lebanon, tall and lofty, all the oaks of Bashan, for a towering mountain and all the high hills, for every lofty tower and every fortified wall, for every trading ship and every stately vessel. The arrogance of man will be brought low and the pride of men will be um, humbled 
behold, the Lord alone will be exalted in that day and the idols will totally disappear. Isn't that amazing? So, you know, right now you're thinking, that ain't fair. How can that person get by with that? Nobody gets by with anything. You make Jesus Lord, he cleanses sin. But if you don't, at some point, wrongs will be made right. You know, we look at injustices all the time now. So that's not right for that person to get off and get by. Nobody gets by. The day of the Lord's coming. How many hear me? Then it says, the arrogance of man will be brought low again. Verse 17, the pride of men humbled. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Idols totally disappear. Verse 18, verse 19. Men will flee to caves and rocks and to the holes in the ground from the dread of the Lord and splendor of his majesty when he rises to shake the earth. That may be a reference to Revelation 6, 12 through uh, 17, 18 when, uh, when that sixth seal is broken there. In that day, men will throw away the rodents and bats Throw away to the rodents and bats their idols of silver and idols of gold, which they've made to worship. Your money won't be worth anything when judgment comes. That's what he's saying. They'll flee to the caverns, rocks, to overhanging crags because there's meteorites falling. What are they going to do? They're trying not to die from all these things falling from the atmosphere. They will, uh, again, uh, from the dread of the Lord, they'll... they'll, um, Flee to the caverns of rocks overhanging crags from the dread of the Lord. The splendor of his majesty when he rises to shake the earth. Stop trusting in man who has but a breath in his nostrils. Of what account is he, the prophet says. Verse thir- uh, chapter 13, Isaiah, uh, verses 6 through 13. Hail for the day of the Lord. Mentions it again, is at hand. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will be limp. Every man's heart will melt and they will be afraid. Pangs and sorrows will take hold of them. They will be in pain as a woman in childbirth. They'll be amazed at one another. Their faces will be like flames. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel, both wrath and fierce anger to lay the land desolate and he will destroy its sinners from it. The star, For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be darkened in its going forth and the moon will not cause its light to shine. There it is again, another reference to the darkening of the sun. I will punish the world Verse 11, for all its evil, the wicked for their iniquity, I will halt the arrogance of the proud, will lay low uh, the haughtiness of the terrible. I will make a mortal more rare than fine gold, a man more than gold, the golden wedge of Ophir. Therefore, I will shake the heavens and the earth will move out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts and the day of his fierce anger. Speaking again of the day of the Lord. Isaiah 34, all the hosts of heaven, verse 4, shall be dissolved. The heavens shall be rolled up like a scroll. All their hosts shall fall down as a leaf falls from the vine and as the fruit falling from a fig tree. For it is the day of the Lord's vengeance, the year of the recompense for the cause of Zion. Then Joel chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as destruction from the Almighty. It's, it's, it's not the food cut off before our eyes, joy and gladness from the house of our God. The seed shrivels under the clod. Storehouses are in shambles. Barns are broken down for the grain is withered. How the animals groan, the herds of the cattle are restless because they have no pasture. Even the flocks of sheep suffer punishment. It's hard on everything. Humans, plant life, animal life. It's a tough time. Oh Lord, 
To you I cry out, for the fire has devoured the open pastures, and a flame has burned all the trees of the field. The beasts of the field also cry out to you, for the water brooks are dried up, and the fire has devoured the open pasture. Then Joel 2, two verses, 10 and 11, the earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and moon grow dark, the stars diminish their brightness. Uh, the Lord grieves before, uh, gives voice before his army, for his camp is very great, for the strong, for strong is the one who executes his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? Then Joel 2, another two verses, 30 through 32. Uh, and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness. There's a reference to the dimming of the heavenly bodies and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. Joel 3 few verses there, beginning with the verse 14. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is, is, is near in the valley of decision. The sun, the moon will grow dark. The stars diminish their brightness. The Lord will also roar from Zion, utter his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and earth will shake, but the Lord will be a shelter for his people and strength of the children of Israel. Amos 5, the prophet Amos mentions this. Verse 18 of Amos 5, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. For what good is the day of the Lord to you? It will be darkness. And this is very clear and not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. Or as though he went into the house, leaned his hand on the wall, and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light? It is, it is, is it not very dark with no brightness in it? There is nothing good about the day of the Lord. I said, Pastor, why are you reading all these? Because I want you to know this is a terrible time. And no human needs to be here. Anybody here is here by choice. Out of their own stubborn heart because they refuse to make Jesus Lord and repent of sin. Those are the only people that will be here. How many hear me? Zephaniah, about done. Everybody good? Zephaniah 1, listen to this. The great day of the Lord is near. It's near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. There the mighty men shall cry out. The day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation, desolation, a day of darkness, gloominess, a day of clouds, thick darkness. A day of trumpet alarm against the fortified cities, against the high towers. I will bring distress upon men, and they shall walk like blind men, because they have sinned against the Lord, and their blood shall be poured out like dust, and their flesh like refuse. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy, for he will make speedy riddance of those who dwell in the land. Gather the, yourselves together. Gather together, O undesirable nation, before the is issued, or the day passes like chaff before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger comes upon you. Seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth, who have upheld his justice. Seek righteousness, seek humility. It may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. And thank God, believers will be hidden, will be in heaven. Is that good news? And then the last part of this in the Old Testament, Zechariah 14. Behold, the day of the Lord's coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst. I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city will be taken, the houses rifled. 
The women ravished, half of the city will go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. The Lord will go forth and fight against those nations. That's the second coming of Christ as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day when Jesus comes back, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north, Half of it towards the south. Did you know in Mark 11 when Jesus said, whoever says to this mountain, be removed. Did you know he was talking about the Mount of Olives? And you know when he comes back, the mountain, Mount of Olives will level. <laughs> Jesus is coming back. And here it is, Acts chapter 2, speaking of the day of the Lord. I will show wonders in heaven above, signs in the earth beneath, blood, fire, Pillars, vapor of smoke, the sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then Peter talks. You remember reading the book of Second Peter? Peter talks about the day of the Lord. He's talking in Second Peter about what the prophets mentioned. And you read these things and you don't, you don't often put them together. But listen, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. In which the heavens will pass away. We just read all that, right? With great noise, the elements will melt with fervent heat. We just read about it in Revelation 8. And the prophets talked about it over and over. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which dwells righteousness. Again, aren't you glad we won't be there when that happens? 1 Thessalonians 5, listen to this. Paul talked about it here. Uh, But concerning the times and seasons, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief, In the night, that is unexpectedly, for when they say peace and safety, sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brother, are not in darkness, so that the day should overtake you as a thief. Then 2 Thessalonians, almost done, this is the last one. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or word or letter as if from us as though the day of Christ has come. So again, the day of the Lord is at the very end of that seven-year period. The rapture of the church will have taken place just before that happens. We'll be in heaven perhaps getting the rewards for the life we lived for Jesus after we were saved on the earth. But those that are left here, they could be your relatives, they could be your friends, it could be a spouse, it could be some of your children, it could be some of your grandchildren, it could be people that are working with you right now. Some of these people could be here without, if they don't meet the Lord, they're going to experience this terrible, terrible time. Now see, when I'm saying this, here's what I'm aware. Americans don't like to hear this. We want life to keep going on the way it is. And we don't want to talk about judgment or challenge or persecution or martyrdom. But friends, those things are in our future. The good news is this is not. The day of the Lord is not for me and you. It's for those that don't know the Lord. So what should that do for us? We need to be praying. We need to, first of all, we need to keep our spiritual ducks in a row judging ourselves and keep ourselves spiritually hot. And you know, as much challenge as we have today... 
I, I can't believe how lackadaisical spiritually some people still are. Friends, we're in a time of change, and we desperately need to be seeking the Lord. Yes or no? We need one another. We need to gather together. We need to be in the Word together. We need to pray together. So come to our prayer meetings. Come to our services. Let's keep ourselves stirred up so we'll be ready when Jesus comes to take us away. And, uh, and we won't experience the things that we just read about in the day of the Lord. And this is also a time, secondly, to prepare uh, to pray for your family and friends, to come to know Jesus. Pray for the people that you know that don't walk with God, that don't go to church. A lot of people say they're Christians, but they never act like Christians. And Jesus said, Jesus said, narrow is the way, confined is the way that leads to life. Not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those that really do God's will. So how many know we need to be praying for everybody around us? You pray for me, I pray, but pray. That's what, that's, that's, that's what we need to be doing today. And then we need to encourage one another. Because thank God one day Jesus will take us away. And we will not experience the wrath to come. But our whole world, y'all, our world's in such trouble. And you know, the uncanny thing for me as a pastor, most people have no idea what the underworkings are behind the scenes. They don't understand the things that are about to take place. God will show you if you'll pray, if you'll read the Word, and He'll show us how to be prepared, how to endure, and then how to be ready when Jesus comes back in the rapture. How many want to go?